Welcome to this edition of Rail Group on Air, the podcast series brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. I'm William C. Vantuono, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age. This uh, podcast here is a continuation of our series with the Commuter Rail Coalition. And uh, with me today are John Klein, who is Principal of Klein Strategic Consulting and, and Director of Government Relations for the Commuter Rail Coalition, and Kellyanne Gallagher, who is the CEO of the Commuter Rail Coalition. And uh, we are going to talk about Chrissy grants, all the lots of money that the government's throwing at, at the transit industry, and uh, and what the funding availability is, what the opportunities are for uh, commuter rail. Um, so, Kellyanne and John, uh, welcome. It's 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 nice to have you back. Thanks for having us again, Bill. Appreciate the time. So we've seen uh, uh, the, a lot of money. As a matter of fact, uh, we just got a, uh, and today, by the way, is October 12th, and the uh, the Federal Transit Administration just announced a uh, a six hundred million dollar program for rail car replacement. Uh, a lot of the equipment is getting old, as we know that, and uh, so you know here's more here's yet more money in the pipeline. So so let's talk about commuter rail specifically and what the opportunities are, John. Yeah, uh, thanks, Bill. It's uh, it's great to be with you again. Um, uh, yes, uh, today is uh, is noteworthy because uh, the Federal Transit Administration has just released uh, the notice of funding opportunity for the rail vehicle replacement program, uh, another one of the creations uh, uh, coming out of the infrastructure bill that was passed um, in the summer of 21. And um, it's, uh, it certainly offers a, an opportunity for commuter rail agencies to seek uh, significant capital funding. Um, and uh, so, so that's the good news part of the story. Um, I think generally uh, the issue is that uh, we really feel though that despite the fact that there are these new programs like this one and some others uh, that have, have emerged, and in fact there's significant uh, new resources available to the Department of Transportation as a whole uh, for discretionary program funding. However, there's really nothing that is specifically geared toward commuter rail agencies. Um, and, uh, and we think that that's a real uh, important need uh, that needs to be addressed in the near future. Uh, you mentioned the Chrissy program, which is the uh, is, is, uh Many people know the Consolidated Rail Infrastructure and Safety Improvement Program that has been around for quite some time now, administered by the Federal Railroad Administration. Um, and, uh, and, and there's been significant growth in that program, uh, now uh, just shy of one and a half billion dollars uh, annually available in that program, um, which, by the way, the, the notice was sent out in September and uh, the uh, applications are due uh, on December 1st. So, uh, so folks will be putting their applications in. However, a uh, key uh, part of that program is, is that commuter rail agencies are not uh, eligible recipients for funding under that program. Um, there certainly are circumstances in which we can be the beneficiaries 
because the program is focused uh, mainly on uh, inner city passenger transportation and, and all of the capital needs around that. And so because we overlay on the, uh, on the inner city passenger system, we, we become beneficiaries of some of that investment. Uh, but it's really not as though one of our members can show up at FRA with an application, say, hey, you know, we're, we're applying for $100 million under the Chrissy program to do rail signal improvements uh, or, uh, or, or whatever their needs are. And, uh, and we think that's a great shortcoming of the program. It, it's not to diminish the needs on the inner city side uh, in any way, but, but it definitely uh, is the sort of program that we argued uh, early on in the consideration of the infrastructure bill uh, that the program really should be opened up for commuter rail agencies. It, it was briefly opened up for commuter rail agencies for PTC implementation. There were, there were grants that were awarded directly to commuter rail agencies uh, in a one-time deal um, that the Appropriations Committee made available back when we were in the process of getting PTC uh, up and running. Uh, but again, there was a very limited engagement and um, effectively the, the door is not open any longer to us. So, um, so what does it mean? And, and I guess generally to taking a step back even further, uh, discretionary funding programs have become a big priority at the Department of Transportation. Uh, there, there really were very limited uh, discretionary programs uh, across the board. But the infrastructure bill really changed all that. The, the Department of Transportation went from having uh, just over $5 billion annually that they were awarding in discretionary programs. So it was things like what we knew as the TIGER program later, later changed to the RAISE program um, and, um, and uh, uh, rail crossing safety program that federal highways, those were the typical sorts of things and, and, a, and a smaller version of the Chrissy program. Those were the typical sorts of things that we saw at the department in the discretionary versus, versus the money that goes out by formula. Uh, but under the infrastructure bill, that, that $5 billion has now expanded to $28 billion. And so this has become a pot of money that is really quite significant. And uh, a number of transportation agencies, our commuter railroads included in those, have really taken notice of that. I think there were a number of agencies that contemplated in the past whether they would file uh, for an application, let's say under the old TIGER program or, or now what's called RAISE. Um, and because of the limitations on the program and the fact that most of the awards were, were for, you know, what were considered generally small amounts, people began to make decisions about whether it was worth their time and effort to go after those funds. Um, that has changed now um, as some of these programs, and you, you mentioned at the start here, the Rail Vehicle Replacement Program, which is one of those new programs that was added under the State of Good Repair Program. So State of Good Repair is a, is a long-time formula program, uh, continues to put out a significant amount of funds for uh, in formula funds to uh, that, that benefit uh, certainly commuter rail agencies and other public transit agencies. And now this new element is a $300 million annual program uh, for, just like the title says, rail vehicle replacement. 
Um, the notice that came out today actually encompasses two fiscal years, uh, the one that we just left, uh, FY22, and the one we've just entered, FY23. And because there was $300 million available under each year, um, the uh, FTA decided to combine the two into a $600 million pot of money that people can apply for. Um, and the application for that program are due on January 5th. So um, uh, interesting limitation on that program. Uh, the law says that it can only be for three agencies uh, each year. I don't know. We have to look at the details of whether they're going to, in this notice, say that it's going to go to six agencies uh, or whether they'll stick to the three agency limitation. Um, but uh, uh, certainly that's a program that commuter rail agencies can can make application to and certainly are eligible for. Uh, but not only is each individual commuter rail agency competing with their uh, with their brethren in the other agencies, but they're also competing with public transit agencies as well. So, uh, so again, it, uh, it makes the competition quite, quite significant. And, um, um, and I think it just points again to the whole issue of, uh, of having a program that is focused uh, purely for commuter rail agencies and one that, uh, that we know is predictable and is going to be available for commuter rail agencies only. So in, in general, it, it may look like a lot of money, and $600 million is a lot of money, but uh, uh, it really, if, if you dive a little deeper, as you've just done, you know, it's rather restrictive. Only three agencies, maybe six. Uh, you know, how do you determine, or how does the government determine who gets what? when there's when there's so much need out there uh uh but i wanted to i just wanted to get back just real quick to uh to the the chrissy program and um and you you said that the door isn't open to commuter railroads but is the back door open to commuter railroads and uh, for example let's take chicago okay you have amtrak and metra sharing uh operations along with uh several class ones and maybe even some regional railroads uh, in in the chicago region if there's money available to amtrak okay to to upgrade a right-of-way uh to improve the coexistence with freight trains and i would imagine metro would benefit from that. Now, could Metra be a, even though they can't directly apply for the funds, can they work with Amtrak or any commuter railroad? Can they work behind the scenes for this sort of thing? And if the, and if a freight operator applies for these funds, and you won't, you really won't see a class one applying for funds, but you will see short lines and regionals. There's a lot of money available. If the program administrators know know that these improvements will help a commuter rail operator, is that something that you know is is helpful or not? Yeah, no, it's a very good point, Bill, and and you're absolutely right that uh, uh, there is there is somewhat of a backdoor benefit. Looking at the history of uh, of grants that have been awarded in the past, I think those instances where not only is it uh, is is a particular project providing a benefit for inner city passenger rail, uh, but in those instances where it also provides a benefit to commuter rail 
um, I think that's that's been viewed favorably and has added to the uh, the analysis, uh, the benefit cost benefit analysis that uh, that the policymakers are making. So so you're certainly right that um, uh, it, it can help in the selection of projects and um, and it can uh, it can certainly help where uh, commuter rail agency, like in your example, pointing out might be working with Amtrak um, together. Uh, or a class one railroad um, to uh, to seek uh, seek an application, and um, I think uh, I think that that uh, that certainly uh, is is all good. Um, what it means, though, however, is is that commuter rail agencies can't direct uh, where the funds go. So in in most of the places uh, our memberships operate, they they have certain priorities, things that our critical needs and what's on their list of a critical need uh, might not necessarily match up with Amtrak or anybody else that would be applying for a Chrissy grant. So we're, we're kind of left to uh, working with uh, the choices that are made by others and, uh, and trying to get the best out of it as best we can, uh, but not being able to go in under that program or other discretionary program that might be created and say, this is a critical need for our railroad. And uh, that's why we're seeking funding for it. That's, that's the part that we're missing. Right. So it, it depends, it depends upon the, uh, the system, I guess, like on the Northeast corridor stretching, say between Philadelphia and New York city, Amtrak and New Jersey transit there, there are a lot of, uh, you know, this, the joint facilities programs. I don't know if they're still called that, but anything that Amtrak does benefits NJT and vice versa. So in that case, I would, I would hope that Amtrak would, would be mindful or be in lockstep with NJ transit and or SEPTA also on the Los An corridor in, in Southern California. You know, where you've got um, uh, uh, North County Transit District and Metrolink um, on that on that corridor. Uh, that's a BNSF owned largely right of way, uh, where the Amtrak uh, Surfliner service operates. That's that, that's another example. I would think that uh, there shouldn't be any conflict there because the equipment essentially is the same. Um, the, the differences mainly are just in the, in the frequency and schedules. You're absolutely right that I think there are a lot of these circumstances where, where the parties are working closely together. Um, and, and you see this really across the board with, with all of the federally funded programs. Uh, one of the things that um, agencies that have been able to do in concert with some of the class ones, uh, you know, Chicago is a perfect example where they, um, operate over each other's lines. Um, and, and Metra has in past years been able to use, uh, you know, the, the benefit of making capital improvements to a corridor that they share with a freight railroad in order to get some other benefits in another location of the railroad where perhaps maybe that, uh, that uh, class one railroad might not have uh, initially prioritized it, but because investments being made uh, that Metro could make with their federal funding, uh, they were able to leverage that in order to get improvements elsewhere um, on the system. So, so certainly that sort of cooperation 
uh, has been ongoing under a number of programs for years. I think it will certainly continue to go on, uh, and particularly in the Chrissy program, I think you'll see it a lot uh, between Amtrak and, and those agencies that they interact with. Um, but, you know, it still gets back to that key point that it, it, uh, there, there is not a discretionary program where the commuter rail agency is necessarily in the driver's seat saying, here's the priority, here's where we want to make our investment. Um, and um, and they, they may very well go to some of the other parties and say, we want to work with you and coordinate that effort. But, but, it, but they're, they're the ones who are making that key selection, that key prioritization of funding. What sorts of initiatives uh, are uh, you folks at the CRC making to try to rectify some of these uh, roadblocks? Might not be a, <laughs> a good uh, analogy for a railroad, but uh, I guess, you know, end of track bumpers or whatever you want to call them. We certainly have stressed this, uh, this point with policymakers at the Department of Transportation pointing out to them that, you know, I've I'm not sure there was necessarily a cognitive decision made in the infrastructure bill uh, not to identify a specific program for commuter rail agencies only. Uh, as you know, the, the infrastructure bill had kind of this uh, unusual path to passage um, and some things got left on the cutting room floor along the way. And, um, you know, we, we felt like uh, there, there was not a lot of input, uh, particularly in the end. We, there weren't, you know, uh, compared to earlier authorizations, there weren't a lot of hearings and, and public markups of the legislation before it became a final law. And so I think along the way, um, we, uh, we didn't get that focus of attention and so we've been bringing this to light with uh, with policymakers at the Department of Transportation and throughout the administration, as well as with lawmakers on the Hill. Um, in anticipation, it's it's hard, you know. It seems like we just got done with an authorization, and and thinking about a new one almost seems crazy. But the reality is, is that uh, we're we're in the second year of of that authorization, um, and the discussion about the next authorization is going to start to get serious. Uh, in probably the next 18 months or so. So um, laying the groundwork now is what we see as our mission to try to ultimately achieve some changes in law that are going to uh, identify specific program elements uh, that we can avail ourselves of. And then in the meantime, uh, working with the Department of Transportation to really try to get them to focus. So, so as they're making... Uh, grant awards, whether it's under Chrissy, whether it's under the Rail Vehicle Replacement Program or elsewhere, having them have it at the forefront of their thinking that they're looking for opportunities for commuter rail to benefit from the decisions that they're making is really a, a key priority for us. And I wanted to point out that conversations like this bill uh, help that along. Um, it's not just the one-on-one -on -one conversations we have on the Hill or with policymakers. Uh, it is making sure the broader industry understands that just because there's a word rail in a title, it doesn't mean that we directly benefit. And uh, that's the message we're trying to get out here. So Kellyanne, your, your message to commuter rail operators out there, what are they who are listening to this? What do they need to do? They need to echo this message with their own electeds. 
so that they understand that they don't directly benefit, that their agency doesn't directly benefit from this program. Um, if a commuter railroad has to go into negotiation with a host in order to benefit from the CRISI program, what are they negotiating over? And what might they be compromising if there are multiple negotiations going on with that host over multiple issues? How about agencies that have multiple modes, that have commuter rail, that have light rail, that have rapid transit? I imagine it must be difficult for them to balance their own needs, and, and those needs can be politically driven. You know, who, what local legislator or governor or mayor or whatever, you know, wants to put money into, into the subway system rather than the commuter rail system or, or into the light rail? How would operators uh, balance their, their needs, you know, with, with multiple modes? Well, that, that's up to the individual CEOs to understand their community's needs. We can't anticipate that for them. All What we want to do is make sure that there is money available so that those multimodal agencies can also fund the, the needs they have for commuter railroad. And right now, there, there appears to be quite an imbalance. So mm -hmm. we advocate for commuter railroads. Um, not to the exclusion or to the to the detriment of any other mode, but our responsibility is to make sure that commuter railroads have the assets and the um, resources they need to be successful. It's a huge infrastructure investment, and to stay viable for the next 50 years, we have to start planning and investing resources now. John, any concerns about the results of the midterm elections, which are, I think, are pretty much up in the air at this point. No, it's it's a very good point because you can uh, you can really have a uh, uh, a shift of gears on priorities of funding, and we certainly have heard from from different quarters uh, questioning uh, the size of the investment that was made in the infrastructure bill, um, and as you know. Uh, a, a good portion of that bill, um, the, you have the authorization levels, but you need the annual appropriations to, to follow through on those funding levels. Um, uh, Congress, I think, did a number of things, including the use of advance appropriations to try to secure funding levels. But nonetheless, there is still a significant chunk uh, that goes out via the annual appropriation cycle. And you could very well see a, a debate commencing uh, quickly, depending on who, the outcome of the election, over a the priority of that. Do do we want to continue to fund at those levels? Not only our members in the commuter rail industry, but all throughout public transportation, needs to be very much on guard that um, uh, even though the resources that were committed under the infrastructure bill were, were quite significant and they've, they've benefited our members directly. We're, we're certainly appreciative of that. Um, but nothing is a given, uh, particularly under the current state of affairs, both politically and economically. And so that's another point uh, uh, that we're reinforcing with our members is that they really have to keep the volume level turned up with their congressional delegation that, um, that current funding levels are critical going forward and to start thinking about um, as we evolve into the next authorization, what are the ways that we can 
you know, remove barriers to make things a little easier, you know, kind of echo Kellyanne's comments. Uh, we have members who, who are part of a multi-agency uh, organization. Uh, we have others, uh, Metro in Chicago is a perfect example. They're separate and apart from the Chicago Transit Authority. Uh, so they don't have to think about necessarily the public transit side uh, when they're applying for, for grants. Uh, but we just don't want anybody to uh, bump up against any kind of a barrier or restriction in a particular program uh, that says, you know, you, you can't apply here or your application is going to somehow be downgraded. So that's uh, that's really the, the, the key things that we're reinforcing. Well, you know, a, a long time ago, uh, my uh, predecessor, uh, Luther Miller, uh, said something which uh, I hope still holds true to this day. He said, politicians vote their constituents. Then it's really up to the up to the agencies to mobilize their constituents, the passengers, to make it very clear to uh, to whoever is in power from either side of the aisle that these are the needs and uh, and this is what we want you to do. So it trickles down to the people in the seats. No, I think you're absolutely right. The good thing about our system of governance, it, it certainly squeaks and grinds and uh, looks a little ugly at times. But uh, I think the, the concept of, uh, of constituent needs is still very real. Uh, I certainly witnessed this uh, in, in many member offices. Uh, I, I see members that are very responsive to what they're hearing. Certainly the policymakers who consider uh, grant applications are looking for uh, some evidence of that support. Now, they, they don't necessarily have the wherewithal to directly communicate with constituent groups. They do hear from some of them, but they're often looking mainly at political leadership. And that's not just congressional leadership, that's local mayors and, and you know, city council members and, and uh, county commission members. They really want to see that they're in bus the business community weighing in. Uh, they really want to see that if they're going to make an investment, particularly a large capital investment, uh, that, that the need is demonstrated by these voices from, uh, from the area that, that is impacted. So, uh, so you're absolutely right. That's, that's really a, a, a key component of all of this. A lot of these topics are things are going to be addressing, if I can make a shameless plug for the CRC's summit next month. Uh, in no, mid-November, we'll be in San Jose, hosted by Caltrain, and we'll be having these conversations. Um, John will have the benefit of, of uh, knowing what the outcome of the midterm elections are, and uh, he and a couple of the go other government affairs uh, professionals from the CRC will be uh, prognosticating on what the um, what the future holds uh, for commuter railroads in Washington. And also we'll have some conversations with real estate professionals. Someone from Jones Lang LaSalle, for instance, will be joining us to talk about what they're seeing in the real estate market. And um, this particular individual used to work within our industry and knows full well the benefit of commuter rail to businesses. And so some of the things that we hit on will be having uh, conversations at greater length when we meet next month. I and uh, Railway Aid certainly um, encourage uh, anybody who's listening here to uh, sign up and uh, attend that conference. Many thanks for, for the opportunity to visit today on this issue. Uh, it, it's, uh, 
it's an important issue. Um, I think uh, oftentimes a lot of people conclude that, hey, uh, that infrastructure bill was dealt with last year. Uh, there was a whole bunch of new funding. Everybody should be happy and we don't need to worry about it. And unfortunately, rarely ever does uh, one single piece of legislation solve all needs. And so being able to shine a light on the fact that um, uh, while commuter rail agencies have certainly benefited uh, from a number of the things that were enacted by the infrastructure bill, um, there still are areas that are shortcomings that are stress points for the commuter rail agencies. And so it, uh, it gets that discussion going it uh, reinvigorates even our own members uh, to uh, to bring these issues before their uh, elected representatives, because uh, it's a slow, arduous process uh, to, to get the volume level turned up on, on an issue and to get people to focus on it. And I think this is a key, important step, Bill. So again, you know, many thanks for the opportunity. Well, Kellyanne Gallagher and John Klein from the Commuter Rail Coalition, uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, This is a continuing series. You will hear from uh, from us again. Uh, Thanks for joining us and have a safe day.